Good morning. The reading is James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on page 1214 in the Red Bibles. I'll read the Chinese version in Cantonese first. 我的弟兄们,不要许多人做教师,因为你们知道,我们做教师的要接受更严厉的审判。原来我们在许多事上都有过失。若有人在言语上没有过失,他就是完全的人。有能立住自己的全身。我们若把着环放在马嘴里,使
All right, good morning, everybody. Quite a passage to have to speak on. You look at verse 1, not many of you should become teachers. It's a slightly terrifying one to, wait, uh, to come up and speak about. I did briefly consider whether maybe we should have 20 minutes of silent prayer. That might be a good way to spend the time. Uh, but we will aim to sort of wrestle with this text. But let's pray uh, to God first. Father, we have just sung that you are a holy God. So may we have humble hearts that approach you with that right sense of awe. I'm willing to listen to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this topic of the tongue, which is clearly the main, main point of the passage. Uh, but just as we begin, I want us to think about this man uh, who's going to come up on the screen, Martin Luther. Um, massively complicated and influential man. Uh, No two ways about it. Uh, Very few figures have been more influential on Western history, on world history, than this man, for both good and bad. Uh, Yeah, as I say, massively complicated, massively uh, influential. Um, And he was a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a theologian, a writer, a Bible scholar. So words were his tools. Words were his trade. He used words, and he used words to great effect. And lots of his words were about bringing the love of God as a real and living thing into people's lives. And he did a great deal of good in people's lives by doing that, bringing the gospel and God's love to people. You might know about Luther, however, that uh, he also didn't have a lot of time for the book of James. He wasn't a big fan of the book of James. He actually called it an epistle of straw. In Luther's mind, you see, there were two sort of divisions in the New Testament. There was like the Premier League of the really first-rate top books, the really chief books, he called them. They include like Romans and the Gospels and things like that. And then there's like the second division down here somewhere, not that important. And he put James in that bracket. He didn't think it was that important, uh, partly because it, it conflicted with and rubbed up against his own theology in various ways. And he spoke quite dismissively about it. He called the book Little Jimmy. He said, how I wish I could put Little Jimmy in the fire, he said. There's a bit of him that wanted it out of the Bible altogether. And in his own version of the Bible, when he gets to James, he used to write comments in the margins of the Bible. In his own Bible, when he gets to James 3 verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, he writes a little note. Oh, James, if only you'd taken your own advice. Now, we laugh, and that just demonstrates something. Luther is wrong, by the way. He's completely wrong. James is a brilliant book. It rightly deserves its place in God's word. But we laugh because he was a genius with words. He knew how to be funny. He knew how to be persuasive. He knew how to use words to good effect. And like I say, he used them to do great good, to bring the love of God to life in people. But his words also did great harm. You might know about Luther that particularly as his life went on, toward the end of his life, as he became embittered, he wrote and preached some of the most vile anti-Semitism you will ever find. Really harmful, dangerous words that, that had an impact long after his life and resonated down the centuries. Words are powerful. His words particularly so. I think it's a bitter irony, really, that perhaps the one book of the Bible he might most have needed 
to help him in his godliness with passages like the one we've just read was the one he was so dismissive of. Maybe serves as a a warning and a reminder to us not to decide for ourselves which, which bits should be in or out of the Bible and humbly trust that God has given us the whole thing for our instruction. So we're going to dive into this passage now and listen to what it says. Before we do that, I just want us to take a quick step back and look at the book of James as a whole. It helps me to think of it a bit like an opera. Let me stick with me. Um, so uh, chapter one of James is, is an introduction, and I've called it an overture. Now, if you listen to operas, sometimes at the, at the start of an opera, there is an overture, and it has certain musical themes and styles and things in there, and then they come back again and again in the rest of the opera, and they're explored further uh, by the composer. And James works a bit like that. Chapter one's the introduction. And in the introduction, all the key main themes of the book are there. And then in the next four chapters, what he does is he returns to them and explores them in more detail. Uh, And that's what we've got here. Uh, So we've already seen some of the ideas in our passage today already. So uh, in verse 2, it talks about somebody who's who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. And it's the same word for complete or mature back in chapter 1. In verse 8, we're told that the tongue is restless, a restless evil. That's the same word for unstable that was describing the double-minded person in chapter 1. And just the very topic, we've seen it already, right, in chapter 1 where James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. That's the kind of religion that God values. So as he comes to warn teachers here, Uh, warn people generally about how they use their tongues and use their words. We've seen it before, but now he's going to explore it in more detail. And if you can remember back right to the start of our our series, I said James's vision for the Christian is that they reach maturity or completion or perfection. Uh, And we said that 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 idea is the idea of a completely integrated life, where our thoughts and our words and our attitudes are all in harmony together. What you see on the outside is what's real on the inside. Somebody in complete integrity and harmony held together. Uh, Last week, Jack took us to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, the Shema, the heart of Old Testament religion. Uh, And this is where it comes from, really. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is integrated and harmonious in his own life completely. Therefore, what are we to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Your whole life works in harmony, in love, love for God that works itself out in love for others. A complete, harmonious, integrated life of wholeness. The opposite to that, of course is a fractured life, a life where we're divided with ourselves, divided in our relationships, divided in our communities. Uh, Instead of being whole, we're fractured. And we've already seen throughout the book examples of what it looks like to have a fractured life. So we looked at the topic of favoritism a couple of weeks ago. Well, what's that? I'm one person to the rich, and I'm somebody else to the poor. I've divided myself off. I'm one person looking this way, one person looking that way. I'm fractured. And it actually fractures the relationships in the church as well. Or last week, Jack talked about faith and deeds. I'm one person in what I say I believe, 
but I'm very different in what I do if I don't have the deeds that go with the faith. Again, the idea of being fractured. And that is a theme he keeps returning to, and he returns to it today as we look at the topic of the tongue. It's another area of life where James calls us to wholeness, to integrity, but he knows we often struggle and we end up with so much fractured and foolish talk. When James talks about the tongue here, I think he means all the ways we use words. So yes, our spoken verbal words. Also the words we type, the words we text, uh, the words we put out there on social media. Even the words we only mutter under our breath to ourselves. The thoughts that run around our heads where we form them in those words. All those words have an impact on us. And James says they really matter. It's not a surprise that words matter. Throughout the Bible, words have power. God creates the universe with words. He puts Adam and Eve uh, to rule over the creation. And how do they do that? Well, partly by using words. They name the animals. Satan comes and deceives them with words. Just in the first three chapters of the Bible, the power of words is evident. And so it's not a surprise that when James wants us to live out a faith that works and calls us to this integrity and this wholeness that he sooner or later gets to the point of talking about words. Words have power. That's why the warning in verse 1 and 2 is so stark. Don't presume to be a teacher. We all make mistakes in verse 2. And if you make mistakes in what you say, it can have a big impact. So be careful about what you say. It is a huge area. It is a significant and scary area. Uh, and he, out, he unpacks it further in the next nine verses. And we're going to look at those verses under a couple of headings. And the first is this. The tongue is a power beyond our control. The tongue is a power beyond our control. And we see this in verses 3 to 8. Uh, James uses a whole host of uh, very punchy illustrations from everyday life. Uh, designed to make that point. Uh, And he he wants to draw several things out about the nature of the tongue. So firstly, he wants us to see that the tongue is influential. In verses 3 and 4, he uses a couple of examples. The bit that you put in the mouth of a horse and the rudder that you put on the bottom of a boat. And in both cases, a small thing can direct a big thing. You can move a horse in the direction you want it to go. You can move a boat in the direction you want it to go. It's influential. Something small has a huge influence. Now, the examples James uses, we get what he's talking about, but they'd have been more significant in the ancient world because horses and boats were symbols of great power. In the world of war, if you've read Tom Holland's uh, Persian Fire, he makes this point that if you have strong horses and a strong cavalry, you can dominate a battlefield. If you have powerful ships and powerful boats, they are such an advantage in waging war on other nations. So the horse and the boat are hugely powerful weapons of war in the ancient world. And James says, yeah, but they're just controlled by this little thing. Uh, Likewise, a human being is an impressive being made in the image of God, and yet it's controlled by this little part, the tongue in our mouth. It moves us one way and the other. We know that our words can either open doors or close them. A good word said at the right moment opens the possibility of a new friendship. A bad word, a foolish one, could cut it off. If you go into an interview 
Good words, well chosen, open a door for you. Bad words, foolishly chosen, can close that door. The tongue is influential. It does direct the way we're going to go. And nextly, the tongue is destructive. And you get this with the image of the, the spark and the fire. And again, it's a small thing that can create a big thing. Now, when I was a curate in Rochdale a few years ago, um, it was in the news. There was a huge fire on the peaks. Um, uh, and you could see the black smoke from my house easily. A big fire. And, and I don't know if they ever got to the bottom of it, but the suspicion was what had happened was somebody had just not quite stubbed out a cigarette, so just left a little bit glowing at the bottom and thrown it onto some dry grass. Just a tiny little spark, and yet the black smoke was visible for miles. It, it, it created such a huge fire. And James's point here is the tongue has that kind of destructive impact. A small word spoken foolishly in the wrong situation can set off a train of events that has huge consequences, destructive consequences. And you get that as he works it through. It's a fire, a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's the idea of consequence follows consequence. A little thing has a huge impact for an individual but also for a community. Words have terrible, destructive power. And that's why James wants us to be mindful and cautious. I I was reminded as I was reading this, uh, a story of a friend of mine. He was working for a church and he he was an elder at this church and he was having a problem with one of the other elders. And they did this annual review form and he asked all sorts of questions. And one of them is, what's discouraging you at the moment? And he wrote a draft of his form and he seriously considered just putting the name of this elder on it. What's discouraging you? Them. Wisely, he mentioned this to his wife, who said, are you sure you want to do that? The thing about that is, once you've said it, you can't unsay it. You don't know where that's going to lead and what damage that one word is going to do in the long run. Uh, I think James is warning us of something similar when it uses this description of the tongue like a spark that can set a huge fire. The third thing James wants us to see in these verses, the tongue is uncontrollable. Back in verse 7 and 8, and you've got the examples of animals that have been tamed. All sorts of animals have been tamed by human beings. I think Hannibal tamed elephants, didn't he, and used them to cross mountain ranges to fight for him. Uh, Huge, powerful animals have been tamed by human beings. But verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. There's a a little bit of our body inside us that's more difficult to tame than the the lions, the tigers, the, the huge creatures you might see at a zoo. And yet your tongue is far more uncontrollable than them. A restless, unstable evil, full of deadly poison. So, We have these two things. The tongue is hugely powerful and significant and influential and has destructive power. And we can't, in our own human strength, no human being can fully control it or tame it. That's quite a scary thing to think about, isn't it? We have an enormous power and we're not in complete control of it. Well, it maybe leaves us with a few questions. Well, the second point, I think goes a little further, does a bit more explaining as to why that is the situation and helps us understand things a little bit more deeply. Because the second point is this, the tongue is a window into our heart. And that is verses 9 and 12. And again, we get a whole series of 
illustrations again here, and I, I wonder if you picked out what they were getting at. He uses the illustration of a spring and the water coming out of a spring, and a tree and the fruit that comes off a tree. But in both cases, what they have in common is this. What comes out of them reveals what they are. If figs come off a fig tree, uh, if figs come off a tree, it's a fig tree. If fresh water comes out of a spring, it's a freshwater spring, uh, and so on. You can fill in the gaps for all the other examples that he uses. But what comes out reveals what they are. And in a similar way, what comes out of our mouths, our tongues, reveal who we are in our hearts deep down. And throughout the Bible, there is a deep connection between our words, our thoughts, our mind, and our hearts. They affect each other. The words we say and the thoughts we create in our minds and allow to go around our minds change who we are within our hearts. I said that it uses the word restless in verse 8, the, the idea of unstable, which was how a double-minded person, or literally a double-hearted person, is described. That's a fractured person. Part of me going this way, part of me going that way. And you see that here, don't you? Verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This fractured division is not what God wants for us. And yet our mouths reveal it when, when we speak out of both sides of our mouths. We praise and we curse. Our mouths reveal what's going on in our hearts, and they reveal they are divided and full of confusion and conflict. What we're seeing here is that the tongue is the master key that unlocks our hearts. The heart is a tricky thing to get a handle on, but the tongue is a litmus test. It identifies, it shows us what is going on under the surface. In Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can master it? And that's why it's so hard to master the tongue as well, because the tongue and the heart are connected. If we could master our heart, we could master our tongue, but we can't. There is a connection between them. We've got this diagram here. This passage says, control your tongue. Jeremiah says, control your heart. And Proverbs says, if you can keep control of your heart, if you guard your heart... Everything you do and everything you say flows from it. You can control your whole life. If you can control your tongue, you can control your heart, you can control your whole life. Uh, that's the vision of wholeness and integrity, but we know just how difficult it is. And the evidence is what's coming out of our mouths. Again, as ever, James is reflecting on the words of Jesus. I think this is a quotation from Jesus in Luke's Gospel. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's a consistency all the way along the line, isn't there, that the mouth reveals the heart. In James here, he uses these examples. What comes out of us? If it's figs, we're a fig tree. If love and goodness comes out of our mouth, it reveals a love and goodness in the heart. If bitterness and cursing comes, it reveals a bitterness and cursing in the heart. So the challenging thing for us, and what's slightly scary in the modern world is we can actually go back over our communication and look at lots of it, right? We can look at old emails. We can look at old messages. 
And in your mind, you can replay old conversations. What do you see coming out of you? We all stumble in many ways, verse 2 tells us. What do you see? Where do you stumble? Do you realize that you're prone to anger or viciousness? Can you see a bitterness creeping up out of your mouth? Is there flattery and gossip ever on your lips? And what's that revealing about what's going on in your heart? Are you slightly cowardly and lie to save face or avoid conflict? What's that revealing about who you are deep down? In particular, think about what you say when you're really tested. The book of James is about a people who are under trial, under test. They're going through hard times. And, and that's often when what's lurking really deep down comes out. It talks about the tongue being full of deadly poison. Well, that's because there's poison lurking in the heart somewhere. And often we can hide it and mask it. But, but when you're under pressure, when you're tested and tried and under great stress and, and it feels like your heart is being squeezed, that's when what's lurking deep down comes out, isn't it? I know for myself, that's when I'm prone to lose my temper. That's when I'm prone to speak bitterly. It's when I'm prone to lie. When I'm tested, when I'm under trial, when that person is giving me a hard time, when life feels out of control, when I've not had sleep, that's when the real me is revealed in my words. I wonder how you feel about this. I suspect if we're honest, most of us feel challenged. Many of us might feel more than a little bruised. I know I do. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Because you're just left to reflect on failings and shortcomings and the ways in which we all stumble. It does reveal to us that we are fractured and broken people. We don't live perfect, mature, complete lives of wholehearted integrity. And we could sit there in the despair and the gloom. But the good news of the Bible is we don't need to. Because there was somebody who was perfectly wholehearted. And as we come into land, I think it's good to turn our eyes to him. The Lord Jesus. And consider him on the cross. If ever someone was tested and put under trial, it's him. He was rejected, he was betrayed, he was spat at, he was mocked, he was jeered, he was ridiculed. The pressure on his heart at that moment is beyond anything we could grasp. And what comes out of his mouth? Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. Perfect trust. Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Perfect love. He lives, he embodies the Shema. He loves the Lord his God with everything that he is. And so when facing the ultimate test, what comes out of him? Now that's great news for us. It's great news for us if we're Christians because if we trust in him, Jesus will give us his righteousness. That, that's a great start. <laughs> it's great news for us because it means we can look like that to God. 
He will give us his perfect record to stand in place of our failings. But it's more than that. It's also Jesus' perfect example. As you look at it, his beauty should capture your heart. It should pull you towards following him. But it's more than just an example because Jesus rises to heaven after his death and pours out his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts by faith if we're Christians. And that Holy Spirit, he is busily at work renewing and restoring our hearts. And if he's doing that work, then all of a sudden we have a newfound power to start to tame our tongues as well. We can make progress. And he puts us in a people a community, a church family in whom the Spirit dwells to love and serve, correct and train and rebuke, encourage each other to pursue wholehearted integrity in speech, in faith, in life. Later on this week in in house groups, people will be doing that. They'll be coming together to revisit this passage and speaking God's truth to one another in love to build up and strengthen. God has given us his word and his Holy Spirit and these perfect tools, a perfect record given to us by Jesus, a perfect example to be drawn into, a power from his Holy Spirit and a people to belong to. So that messy and confused, divided and conflicted as we are, and we may never get this perfect in our lives, we're not hopeless, we're not stuck, we're not lost. This is a a difficult battle with a very powerful force that dwells within us. But we have hope and we have help. And that is wonderful news. I'm going to pray and then we will sing again, sing a song that will enable us to turn our eyes to Jesus and reflect again on his beauty and what it means for us. But let me pray. Father, Um, We are very grateful that you write the book of James for us by your Holy Spirit. We're very grateful for its practical, earthy wisdom. We're very grateful for the Lord Jesus, our perfect example, our perfect saviour, and the one who pours his spirit to dwell in our hearts by faith. Help us. This is a challenging and difficult and bruising passage in many ways, but help us not get lost in our fractured brokenness but to look up to Jesus' perfect wholeness and glory and be transformed as we gaze upon him. Help us do that now as we think. And in his name we pray. Amen.